Today, a look at MD-PhD training at Vanderbilt University. The MD-PhD program, which is called the Medical Scientist Training Program, or MSTP, at Vanderbilt is a graduate training program that students can embark on to acquire the skills needed to be both a doctor and a scientist. This training can take anywhere between seven and nine years and prepare students to treat patients and discover medicine's next cures. These students have a dedication to patient care and scientific discovery that is hard to match. I had the opportunity to sit down with six MD-PhD students in the PhD phase of their training to talk about their experience so far, including the challenges and joys while getting both MD and PhD degrees. Stay tuned. So we'll start. Um, we can say what your name is, um, what department you're in, where you are in graduate school, and uh, what you're studying in a sentence or two. So I'm Rachel. Um, I'm studying cancer biology in the Department of Gastroenterology um, under my PI, Chris Williams. And specifically, I study inflammatory bowel disease and colitis-associated cancer. And I'm a rising G2. Uh, I'm Maggie Axelrod. Like Rachel, I'm a rising G2 in the cancer biology graduate program. Um, but I'm in the lab of Justin Balco. We're really interested in tumor immunology. And my project particularly is focused on how T cells recognize tumors. I'm Lizzie Fluke, and I am a neuroscience student in the Department of Psychiatry. My PI is Jenny Blackford. We study addiction in the context of anxiety. I'm Michael Raditz, also rising G2. I'm in the Department of Biomedical Engineering, and I work with Dave Merriman, studying the role of the immune system in aortic valve disease. And I am Aben Abraham. I am also a G2, my second year in graduate school. I am in Tony Capra's lab um, in the Department of Human Genetics. Uh, and I am interested in polygenic disease and genetic architecture um, from an evolutionary perspective. Hi, everyone. My name is Patrick Wu. I am a fifth year um, in the MSTP program. I'm currently a graduate student in uh, the Department of Biomedical Informatics, and I'm currently working in the lab of Weichi Wei, where we're trying to turn data into information that doctors can use to better treat and diagnose diseases. All right, thanks everyone. So that is, there are six people in the studio today. Um, they're each in their graduate phase of an MD-PhD program. So just as a quick, Summary, the MD-PhD program gives you both MD and PhD degrees, so you can become what's called a physician scientist, or uh, both a doctor and a scientist. The way it works is you do uh, a, your preclinical, and now in, at Vanderbilt, your clinical training um, first, then you leave medical school, you go get a PhD, the whole thing from beginning to end, you then get the PhD, you return back to medical school, and then you, at Vanderbilt now you just start the process of applying to residency um, and beginning your career as a doctor. Um, so this is, program takes about seven to eight years. It's a really long time. And there's a lot of people that um, debate whether or not entering something like this is really worth the time. And so we're gonna talk about how these students have each um, handled their time at the MD-PhD program at Vanderbilt. So um, I guess we'll start off kind of going around and 
everyone could say why they decided when they were deciding to do something like an MD-PhD program. Also, I guess I really found out that I loved research in college, um, doing research in a biochemistry lab, but I kind of found it frustrating that it felt like nothing I was going to be doing or nothing that I did would really relate back to human health. And so that's when I started looking at more translational research, and then I kind of found this MD-PhD track. Um, And the idea of seeing patients that would then inspire my research really appealed to me. And I felt like I would be able to have a better impact on society. Uh, Yeah, so I think I had similar reasons to Rachel. Um, I still remember the day that I saw this particular scholarship on the internet was eligible for students and undergraduate who wanted to apply to PhD or MD-PhD degrees. And that was the first time that I'd ever seen those two letters or two degrees put together like that, MD and PhD combined. Um, And this was really... Uh, interesting to me that you could do both degrees all in one program. So the more I kind of read about that and learned about it, I thought that that was such a great way to combine wanting to do translational research, to be able to see patients in the morning and go back to your lab in the afternoon um, and keep those things really um, related and together. Um, There are other ways to go about being a physician scientist, but I think if you know as an undergraduate that that's what you want to do, you want to see patients and you want to be in the lab, I think going through the MU-PhD program is a great way to do it. So this is Lizzie. I have um, a little bit of a a different story, mostly because the research that I do is clinical, which is not as common in MD-PhD students. Um, And so I have been interested in the brain for a very long time. And so I was originally going to do the MD path, um, started figuring out about research kind of late into college, um, and then kind of realized that I really wanted to be part of the cutting edge moving forward of uh, the field of psychiatry. And so because of that, I started looking more and more into research and then did a um, two-year intern or post-bac at the uh, NIH, which is the National Institutes of Health. And there I was able to really see how clinical and research interests can combine into this really cool career. This is Michael, just a reminder for everybody. <laughs> um, I have kind of a strange path to the MD-PhD because when I came to Vanderbilt, I was an MD-only student. And when I got into the second year here at Vanderbilt, which is when we do our clerkships and start to see patients and work with patients on a every day, every hour basis, um, I realized the questions other people around me were asking about these patients and how to better serve them weren't the types of questions that I was asking. Um, kind of, Their questions were more on the day-to-day care, and I wanted to understand and try and change fundamentally how we can treat and better the lives of these patients. And for me, I saw the best way to do that was to have this type of training where you could do basic science and work in the clinic to move those findings into patient care. Um, This is Avon. I think I have uh, probably a very similar story. Um, But for me, I had done a lot of um, research in undergrad, so I knew that was something I liked. And um, one of my mentors was an MD-PhD, and so a lot of my projects were more translationally focused. Um, I think, uh, you know, after I graduated from undergrad, I took two years to do um, a research internship, um, and that was also very clinically focused. Um, So for me, over time, I saw how Madison was shaping my research interests, um, and so that was one part of it, and 
the other part was um, I was just really curious about like human biology and learning um, about the human body. So it was a nice um, pairing of the two things. This is Patrick. So I, when I went to college, I, my plan was after graduating that I would go to medical school and become a doctor. And uh, since um, the college I went to, uh, most of the uh, undergraduate students uh, participated in research, um, I decided to give it a shot. And to my surprise, um, it was uh, very enjoyable for me, and uh, very uh, just uh, stimulating um, activity um, to just to great knowledge and um, I very much enjoyed the process. So after graduating, um, I, like Lizzie, I did two years at NIH before um, coming to Vanderbilt. And I just wanted to add really fast, um, for people who are listening who are not familiar with the word translational in this context, what we mean is taking research, which is not necessarily directly applicable to patient care, and figuring out kind of translational research as things that will eventually become patient care oriented. Um, so that's the context that we're using it in, which is not always the same. <laughs> so that raises another question that I had, um, which was a lot of people uh, think that an MD only can do research on their patients and discover new things that might help patients. So what is the advantage in your mind of getting a PhD in addition to a normal MD? Any, and anyone can answer at this point. Um, I think if someone feels like they want to jump in, go for it, and then we can have a discussion. I think that additional formal training is really appealing to me, and I've really enjoyed going through that so far. Um, I know I could have done research as an MD, but I do like how, as a PhD, you have to write research proposals, practice uh, presenting your science regularly, and and you have a a structured, more of a structured setting and then towards the beginning of your graduate career. And then you have time to really move into your more independent phase of your graduate training. I think if I had done an MD only, I wouldn't have gotten that experience. So it might've been harder to get into research later. And one of the things for me that's a huge advantage of doing both of these degrees and particularly doing them through a program is the community and support that you gain through that. So in this room are some of my classmates who I go to for support on a daily basis. And um, for me, that's been incredibly helpful. So uh, certainly uh, I have uh, seen or uh, met uh, individuals who have the medical degree without the PhD and they have been successful in research um, but what they have told me was that it was a very stressful process for uh, them to get to where they are because through their formal education process they uh, didn't have the opportunity to learn how to write grants, uh, papers, uh, how, to, how to present uh, science um, and it was through a short postdoctoral training phase where um, they were able to gain that experience, but it wasn't as, um, it was a, a very stressful experience um, to my knowledge. All right, so now that y'all have decided to do this, um, this path, uh, it's pretty long. Medical school is really hard. Graduate school is really hard. Um, 
So what do you find to be the most challenging thing about doing an MD, PhD? Um, and I know y'all are about halfway through your training at this point, but that's still a lot of people's full training programs if they were in a different graduate program. So um, what do you find to be the most challenging thing for you? And we, well, we can start with Maggie um, and then anyone can jump in. So some of the most challenging parts of this um, I think is really just the transitions. So, you know, we at Vanderbilt particularly go from being a clerkship student, um, which means that you're in the hospital every day and you're seeing patients, and for the most part you're changing teams every two weeks or every month, and then we immediately stop that, take a big test, and then go into a lab where you're on the same team for a couple of years-ish, um, and your way of thinking is just so incredibly different. Um, and for me that was kind of one of the biggest shocks is that I thought that the thinking wouldn't be that different. You know, the way you're thinking about a patient, of you know, what might be wrong with them, how might we treat it, is kind of, is a lot different than the way you approach a problem in science that's more um, open-ended and you have to figure out how to structure your time and how to attack this um, really unknown scientific problem. So I think that's been um, a challenge, but a fun one for sure, but certainly very hard to learn how to think in that kind of a way. This is Lizzie. Um, I would just add that one thing that I'm, uh, I, I pay a lot of attention to is how quickly both um, science and medicine move. And I think that when you're in such a long training program, sometimes the, the field that you think you're going to enter can look very different eight years later when you're finished with this part of your training. Um, and so I think it's trying to find the balance of how to stay on top of things as much as possible, keeping in mind that most other people in medicine and science don't have to balance both worlds like we do. And so that comes with a little bit of compromise, um, but also just a lot of like personal insight into how far you can push the boundaries of your knowledge um, without letting things fall through the cracks. Yeah, I, I would also say delayed gratification is <laughs> like the theme of this training. Mm. Um, and so, you know, if you were doing um, an MD degree at the end of four years, you have something um, that tells you you did it and you can graduate and go on to the next step. Um, but with this training path, that is delayed. And in science, um, almost everything happens on a delayed timeline and so um, it requires a lot of patience. People love to ask us about how long this training path is. I guess I came straight from college so it kind of felt like I had all the time in the world and I feel like the first three years have gone really fast. It's not as long as people make it out to be. The most frustrating thing is having to explain it to your family members and your friends from childhood and over and over and over again and explain that you're not sitting in a classroom every day yeah yeah I, I think what this all comes back to is Maggie's answer to the first or second question that like the huge challenge is that you have it's just a, a very small sliver of society and even a small sliver of a medical center or physicians that are trying to do what you're trying to do and to have a community around you is so necessary I think to like lift you up and to talk about the similar ideas because you don't often find people that are trying to think on both sides uh, or trying to think on both sides with the same rigor every day and trying to combine them. So I want to talk a little bit more about 
um, one particularly challenging time for a lot of MD-PhD students, and that is the transition point between medical school uh, to graduate school, or the M2 to G1 transition. Um, You go from being in this very competitive, test-focused environment into a graduate program where you're doing research every day and your days are not structured. Um, So how do you all manage um, that transition? How did you all manage? Because you all successfully managed it. You're now past that phase, hopefully successfully. Um, So how did you all manage, and we can start with Lizzie uh, on this one, uh, that transition from M2 to G1? So I would actually um, disagree. I I think the harder transition for me was the first year of graduate school to the second year of graduate school. Mm. And the reason for that is because the first year of graduate school still looks pretty similar to the medical training. It's not the same um, intensity, I would say, but I still had to go to classes. Um, I still had very big benchmarks of exams that I had to take, which was kind of similar to how my routine was in medical school. Um, However, I'm now finished with classes. Uh, For the foreseeable future, I don't have any big benchmarks coming up. Um, And so now I am just 100% in the lab, very unstructured. Um, and kind of just doing my own thing. Um, and I think that's, that's something that I have not been used to for a very, very long time. And so that, for me, was particularly difficult. And it's, it's still something that I'm, I'm, I'm working through, but um, I kind of set my own benchmarks because that's something that I'm used to. So it helps me to organize myself. Um, and I also just, um, I'm, I'm fortunate in that my advisor is a, a person who's very familiar with the medical training. So when I talk to her about these issues, she knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, she teaches in the medical school. Um, so we are able to kind of uh, find a program that works best for me and how, how I structure my days. Yeah, I think, Lizzie, you're getting to the same point that it's like the hard part about the transition is just like, lack of organization but that may come in the first year may come in the second year like in my departmental program and with the project i'm working on first year felt very in the ocean nowhere to go um so for me i've just i have a google calendar and i use it extensively and i never stick to it but (laughs) sometimes i do (laughs) i think that's kind of the overarching guide to grad school is nothing ever goes the way you expect it to go but sometimes it goes enough of the way you expect it to go (laughs) that it works out so this is Patrick and the transition that was actually very difficult for me um, uh, being three years out of uh, undergrad was a transition to medical school having um, a lot of um, classes um, or my day being more structured than I was used to. Um, but the transition from medical school uh, to graduate school was um, a little bit easier for me since I had um, done uh, had a post-bac experience where um, I, I w- learned how to uh, structure my time to uh, do full-time research. So um, graduate school was just, was, I guess kind of a walk in the park compared to medical school for me. (laughs) So uh, this is Maggie again and the the biggest piece of advice that I would give to anyone going through this process is that struggling with that particular question of either how to structure your time or how to get back into like a rigorous academic program like medical school, struggling with that is totally normal. 
And I think everyone struggles at some point along this path. And if you're not struggling somewhere along the way, you're probably not being challenged enough. And that's one thing that MD-PhD, I think, will challenge everyone. Um, and just leaning on, you know, your community for support uh, throughout that is the, the biggest piece of advice I would give to people. So another challenge that a lot of people feel, especially at this transition point, is something that we talk about a lot, imposter syndrome. Uh, a lot of people feel as if they maybe don't deserve to be at the place that they are for one reason or, no, or another, even though they totally sh do deserve to be where they are. That's why they're there. Um, so talk a little bit more. Have you, has any, have any of you had any struggles with something like imposter syndrome at this point? How have you managed it? Um, any advice for those that may be experiencing imposter syndrome? I mean, I think we all experience a, some level of imposter syndrome and even different levels of imposter syndrome within the same person <laughs> from week to week. And I think understanding that in your community and trying to lift up those around you when they're feeling like nothing's going right or they're feeling like their ideas don't work um, is, is the way to go and to build that community. And I just, thinking of the times when my experiments don't work or when, you know, a manuscript gets rejected, I complain about it to these guys. And then they're, they commiserate with me. And I feel better because I know we're all dealing with similar issues. Yeah, I think um, in graduate school especially, one of the things that is different is um, how you define your own success. Whereas I think in medical school, tests give you a grade and you can be happier, not happy about it. But in graduate school, it's very easy to compare yourself to other people. And science just moves at very different paces that are not comparable um, necessarily. And so I think that, at least for me initially, was a source of um, like imposter syndrome-y feelings. Um, but to, uh, you know, and it, I think for me, I've just taken away that um, science is a very much a personal um, personal journey, and you have to define what success means to you in this in graduate in graduate school. Uh, this is Patrick. So I've definitely felt um, uh, or been affected by imposter um, syndrome since. Uh, going to college so um, I so my parents so I'm the first one to uh, graduate from college and my I guess my uh, I felt that when I entered me medical medical school especially most of my classmates had um, background that was uh, different from mine and how um, I guess one uh, experience that I went through that is I guess in the spectrum of um, imposter syndrome is that uh, in the hospital at least uh, doctors have a way of moving, of talking, of uh, just communicating with uh, one another that um, I just haven't um, been exposed to um, before coming to medical school. All right. So, yeah. I was just going to add something, and this is very slight, but in my experience, Something that my PI does the way that he runs the lab is we have lab meeting every week, every week 
on Friday and everybody has slides at every lab meeting. And to other people that sounds crazy, but seeing other people have basically no data on their lab slides <laughs> every week <laughs> reminds you that things go wrong for everyone. Yeah. And also when you have a good week or you know, or a good week where you got some results that weren't what you expected them to be, if you have to prepare them for lab meeting, you look back on the week and you say, you know, I produced something. And so I, I think if your lab doesn't do something like that, having some type of reflective process every week or every X period of time is really helpful. When we first got here, oh, this is Rachel again. When we first got here, um, our director at the time, Terry Dermody, told us, um, you guys are all really great. You wouldn't have gotten here if you weren't. So, you know, put that imposter syndrome aside. But then he also said, keep your head down and work really hard because you're not better than anyone else. And really, med school and grad school definitely helps you, teach you to put your head down and work hard because, I mean, in med school, you're surrounded by your peers who memorize things three times as fast as you can and, uh, you know, are great at what you're doing then and then you get to grad school and there's people that are way better at you than science and your experiments don't always work so I think I don't know it's just a very interesting experience um and it's so beneficial to be surrounded by all these people who are smarter than you in some way yeah so the next question I have is what do, what do you all think is so far in your training the most unexpected thing that you've encountered in in graduate or medical school. Um, I think a lot of people have a perception of what the MD-PhD track is going to look like, but in reality there can be some things that are unexpected. And these can be great things. It's like, wow, I didn't expect that. That's awesome. Or not so great things. But um, I guess we could start with Aben. Um Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess before I was applying, I saw um, MD-PhD... Uh, almost as like um, a goal to be met um, and I realized um, that my life is also happening at the same time and so I guess I've been surprised by how um, how much time I have to do other things that are also important to me while doing this training. I was going to kind of comment on the other side of the spectrum, which is that a lot of people talk about grad school as this empty void where you don't know what you're supposed to be doing at any given moment. And something I've encountered in grad school is so many interesting things that I feel compelled to go to that I don't have enough empty void to do the other <laughs> things that I want to do, whether in lab or outside of lab. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I love going to those events, but that was surprising to find myself finding an interesting talk every every couple days you know this is lizzie this is something that maggie has touched on quite a lot but i would say i have been overwhelmingly um pleased i guess with uh how awesome the mstp community is um and i feel like especially the way that i got to the mstp program but i think also from what many people are saying if you straddle these two different worlds you can also feel you can always feel like you don't fit into either of them completely and i think that i i've never felt more like this these are my people than when i'm in the md phd and i was not expecting that and i feel like we're very lucky to have this awesome community uh one other thing that i'll add um 
and relating to the imposter syndrome idea too is just that you know even these big amazing smart um, scientists that you look up to no one has it completely figured out and you kind of when I was starting this process I kind of idolized those types of people Um, and it's intriguing to you know learn from them and listen to, to people who seem to have it figured out and learn that you know there's still so much science to be done there's still so many things we don't know and you know not a, even these giants in the field don't know how to figure all of those questions out um, is something that surprised me uh, this is Patrick again so what uh, two things that really surprised me so the first thing is I think through uh, this training process so far through the MDPHC program is um, I, I didn't realize what, I, um, this, is, this is going to sound kind of corny, but what love of learning is. And I think it was only the past year when I slowly, I guess, developed that passion just for learning. And like Michael was saying, um, I actually experienced the same thing where there's just not enough time in the day to read the papers that you want to read or to attend the talks that you want to do and still make progress on your degree. Um, the second thing I um, I guess didn't really cross my mind while I was applying was the people in the community that you'll meet uh, during this process all the way up from the full name professor um, down to um, the students um, here. Um, the different paths that people take to uh, come to this point, the people that they are right now, and um, what they are going to be in the future is really exciting. All right, so now that we've started with the challenges and the unexpected things, what is your favorite thing about, I guess, graduate school, we can say right now, but you can include medical school. I don't know if there's too many favorite things in medical school, but (laughs) um, what's your favorite thing that you've um, experienced since starting this program? And we can start with Patrick. Hey, everyone, it's Patrick again. (laughs) So what I've really enjoyed uh, in this program is just the time or just the really the opportunity that I'm given that I'm um, I'm being or as one of my friends like to say a little bit jokingly is that we're being paid to learn like is there a better job than that in the world and you know I I couldn't come up with one Um, and that's what I um, enjoy the most and more specifically um, I guess is with being or at Vanderbilt with its curriculum where in the second year we do all our uh, core uh, clinical rotations before starting graduate school you have a broad knowledge of um, just human diseases treatments what have you um, and applying that knowledge to my current research is um, it's a huge advantage and I'm able to make connections that um, my uh, like if I went to my graduate uh, into the graduate program without going through medical school that I wouldn't be able to. I think for me one of the most fun things is running an experiment that you may have a hypothesis about what the result is going to be but you really don't know 
you know, what what's going to happen when you hit go on the flow machine or develop your Western blood or, you know, <laughs> uh, whatever type of experiment you're doing. And, you know, it's not always that your experiments are things that you're really optimistic about and really excited about seeing the results. But when you have those, like, well-designed experiments that whatever the result is, it's going to be interesting, um, it's really just so much fun. I don't know if it's my background as an engineer, but what I really love about grad school is producing something. Uh, in medical school, it's so testing focused that what the biggest thing you produce is a number that's your score or your percentile. Um, and in grad school, even if it's the smallest experiment, if you can produce a figure that looks cool or you know like shows an interesting message, it's like I made this and I'm proud of that, and I I really love that part of science. I do agree. This is Rachel. I agree with Michael to an extent, but I do want to say that the second year of med school, I did learn that I did get to, well, maybe not produce something tangible, but the most rewarding times were when you could actually influence patient care. And it was always such a surprise (laughs) when you'd say something on rounds and then your attending would be like, yeah, let's do that. And it was the greatest feeling. Or, you know, even if you're just talking to a family and getting them to understand something, Grad school is great because everything you think does influence what you do and you have a lot of control um, over how you get to spend your day and what you're going to study next and what you think is exciting. Maybe because people's lives, well, definitely because people's lives aren't on the line. Um, So it's just two different things, but I think maybe it's the most rewarding thing about both of them. Yeah, this is Lizzie. So um, like I said before, I do clinical research. So I work with patients who have uh, various mental health disorders. And I find it extremely rewarding um, also in graduate school to hear their stories and to really feel like um, like I, could, I have the opportunity to work with these patients. And um, it, it's very humbling and very cool. Yeah, I would say just totally right. I just ignored medical school seeing patients when I <laughs> answer. <laughs> It's like a whole nother level. (laughs) I I still try and go to Shade Tree every once in a while. And like one of the memories from the last month is Shade Tree patient. Shade Tree is a student health care clinic. Thank you, Lizzie. Um, Shade Tree patient had an elevated protein gap. No one thought anything of it. And I was like, we got to get a test here. It ended up being negative. But the (laughs) attending was like, yeah, you're right. I can't believe they missed that. And I was like, I can't believe it either. I thought of something. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I guess uh, for me, one thing, I was also an engineer in undergrad, and so I learned a little bit of programming, and that was something I was interested in, but did not pursue it in undergrad. And my research now is um, all computational work, so uh, it's kind of cool to like do science while doing something you really like. Um, and so I really like learning about Um, different types of programming languages and using that to answer my scientific questions. All right. I think those are great, great answers. So the last question I have planned um, is what advice do you have for students that are considering doing an MD-PhD program? They're considering applying. They don't know, should they do graduate school or medical school? Neither, both. Um, What advice do you have for them if they're considering the program? This is Rachel. My biggest advice is know that you love doing research. Um, That should be your number one priority is just making sure that that you've had enough research experience and done enough research that you know that this is something that you want to be doing really for the rest of your life. Um, 
if you love medicine too, that's great. That's why you're doing an MD PhD. But I think you won't have fun in this program if you're like on the edge about whether you like research. Um, I would say there are many different types of research. And so I've heard from a lot of my medical school classmates that um, they, they never really got excited about research or they never really, um, re really enjoyed what they were doing. Um, but I think that um, especially in today's world, there are so many different avenues of ways that you can conduct scientific research. And so just because you don't like one type doesn't mean you won't like any. So um, if you have any interest in really broad thinking, scientific creativity, then try a couple different types of research before you just write it off as something that you're not interested in. I would say, similarly as from an exposure standpoint, is to try and identify interesting people or role models who are MDs, PhDs, MD-PhDs, and try to interact with them in some way, try to understand their career, like what drives them, what does their day-to-day -day look like. If you're maybe in Nashville, you know, that's a little easier. You can find somebody at Vanderbilt and plenty of people that we all know would be open doors to people trying to figure out their career path. Um, if you're somewhere less metro area, I mean, there are different programs to try and get these types of exposure. I can't think of them off the top of my head, but I think um, finding exposure to that is the easiest way to figure out what you want to do. That was the hurdle for me. Um, at my undergrad, we didn't have a academic medicine uh, or like a medical institution on campus. And so the MD-PhD, although it seemed interesting, was always just kind of a nebulous cloud that I had no idea what those people actually did. Um, so getting exposure once I got to Vanderbilt was what helped me really decide that this is what I wanted to do. Uh, yeah, and to add on to what Michael just said, I think one of the things when I was an undergrad, I was scared of reaching out to these types of people because they are big, scary, and have letters after their name. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of people who are in this career also really love mentoring and teaching. So don't be afraid to reach out. Learn, you know, what it really means to do an MD-PhD. Talk to current students. Talk to people who have those degrees and had that career. Um, and just really learn as much as you can about it before you go through the whole process of applying and, and that type of thing. I would say I can't believe that I'm saying this and Maggie did not, but there are multiple ways to reach out to people, Twitter being a very, very good one. Um, people who are extremely active on Twitter are usually the same types of people who would really love to answer this kind of question. Um, and it could be a student, it could be a faculty member, but there is a very large society on Twitter of MD-PhDs that uh, can be used and... Hashtag double docs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would say that ties back into my comment about people who aren't in metro areas too. Yeah, yeah, if you exactly. can find somebody and reach out to somebody here at Vanderbilt, I think that there's, there's yeah. programs here that bring, bring people from rural Arkansas, rural Kentucky that are established to find kids who want to do this type of thing but don't have exposure to it. And so getting in contact is the first step. Yeah, look for the American Physician Scientist Association or APSA. There's a lot of great resources through um, organizations like that. Yeah, so I think a lot of really great advice so far. Um, I would also add, um, if you are on the fence or not sure, taking time um, after undergrad to do more research and put yourself in the clinical research um, environments and be really helpful to give you a better gut feeling about whether this is um, something you want to pursue. 
Yeah, so this is Patrick again. And um, yeah, just to add on to uh, just reaching out to uh, people who are on this path, um, another way that uh, some applicants have uh, contacted me is through the MD-PhD admissions office. So they'll usually have a uh, administrator or an assistant director or something with a phone number listed on the program's website and just cold cold email or cold call them. Um, they appreciate it and they can connect you with uh, students that have similar interests as you do. All right. Well, I think that just about does it. Um, and I will add that I believe almost everybody in here, if not everybody in here, is on Twitter, and I'm sure would love to have you tweet at them um, or whatever they're calling it now. Uh, and um, so, uh, so feel free to share your thoughts and any questions you have with the Vanderbilt MSTP um, or with any of us here or with any students at Vanderbilt. I'm sure we would all be happy to answer any questions you have. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I just want to thank everyone for coming today and sharing your thoughts. Um, any final, final words? Ben, how can people get in contact with us if they'd like to? Wow. So many ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> you mean outside of Twitter? Oh, well, like what's the Twitter handle? Oh, you want, should we go through Twitter? Let's go oh, through yeah. some Twitter handles. At least the program has <laughs> Vanderbilt MSTP. Yeah. yeah so that's there. a good catch up. That's a good one. Yeah. 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 Vanderbilt MSTP, the Vanderbilt MSTP website, which I'm not, you can Google. (laughs) Um, And uh, uh, yeah, Um, if you find Vanderbilt MSTP, APSA is on Twitter. um, And Megan Williams is our director, assistant director in charge of recruiting. So she would be the person to contact to if you're looking to contact a leadership team member. Thanks for putting this together. Yeah. Thanks Thanks for coming. Thanks, Ben. And sharing your advice.